Oh boy. I bid you welcome. I want to play a game. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. Let them see what kind of a person I am. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Hello, I'm Yas. Hi, I'm Will. And this is Monster Monday. Yeah, Monster Mondays. Every Monday we talk about a horror film. And yes, why do we talk about a horror film every week? Because the monsters in horror films are not as scary as the monsters in real life. Exactly. And at the time that we're recording this, I think that's kind of exemplified more than ever in a sense. Why we value the escapism of... Of, of horror films as opposed to the horror of, of the world. Yes, at time of recording, not only are we living through a pandemic mm. and have been in lockdown for two months. Two and a half months, yeah. Um, but the the world is, is quite literally on fire. Mm. Um, I think it's important to say that, uh, firstly, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. What's happening in, in America... Um, Obviously, it's horrific, mm-hmm. but it's not a new problem, is it? No, it's, um, it's it's kind of been building up for several decades. And I think 2020 is kind of... I, I, it feels like there's a revolution, and it, and it feels great. Um, it's needed. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a black man, again, was murdered by a police officer, and mm-hmm. it was caught on camera again. Mm-hmm. Um and it has sparked outrage, rightly so, throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd just like to say that we, as white people, mm-hmm. need to recognise um, our privilege, myself included, yeah, and me. I'm sure you, yep. you agree, Will. Me as well, yep. Um, that we, you know, staying silent is part of the problem. Uh, we need to speak out, and also we need to stop pretending that this is just a problem in America. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the UK has uh, systemic racism as well. Um, we need to call out this racist bullshit. Sorry for swearing. Not oh. my French. <laughs> uh, no, all, kids oh, don't listen. I was going to say, it's a horror <laughs> podcast. I don't think the kids should be listening anyway. <laughs> um, we need to educate ourselves on how we can help to tackle racism and how we can be good allies. Um, for a while, white people will be outraged. Uh, but then we tend to forget um, and we move on with our lives because this isn't happening to us. We are not being killed because of the colour of our skin. Mm-hmm. We're not scared to walk outside and, and, and fear that something bad will happen to us because of the colour of our skin. We are only reminded when something is caught on camera because we aren't living with it as part of our lives. So I'd just like to say, as a white person, we need to do better um, and not forget, enough is enough. And this shit has to stop. Um, I understand that I will never understand how a person of colour feels. Mm-hmm. But um, we stand with you. We are your allies and we want to do better and educate ourselves how we can do better. And it's important to know that we can donate to certain causes and support Black Lives Matter. We can protest. We can use our voice for good. And that's that. Yeah.
you know, so I echo obviously everything <laughs> you have to say. Yeah. But what we'll, I, I think, obviously, uh, we're going to talk about some um, escapist horror stuff here because obviously, like sometimes, while we do want to highlight these issues and talk about these things, it is also sometimes good to get away from all of that and maybe watch something that's not quite as horrifying as what you'd watch on the news. Speaking of which, we're going to talk today about Mom and Dad, which, and Dad. which is a 2017-2018 film directed by directed and written by Brian Taylor. And uh, in case you haven't seen anything that Brian Taylor's done before, he's uh, he's he directed the Crank movies, if you've ever seen those. The, the premise of the Crank films is that Jason Statham uh, has a, an issue with his heart, and if he doesn't keep his adrenaline up, he dies. So, so he has to go you, through. You tell me that's not real life. Uh, no, I think it's a Jason Statham biography. But he, they they made a sequel. They're insane films, and he also directed um, Ghost Rider Two: Spirit of Vengeance, which is one of the breakout films for Idris Elba back in 2012, Ooh. which is like one of the first films that Idris Elba did in the mainstream. And the film's actually pretty awesome. I really, I, I recommend Ghost Rider Two. It's better than Ghost Rider One, but that is the connection to Mom and Dad. That's where he worked with Nicolas Cage who is one of the leads, along with Selma Blair, in Mom and Dad. Uh, and, yeah, it, it, I think it went straight to video in the UK. I'm not sure. I don't recall it getting a cinematic release. And, yes, you can interrupt me at any time. Yeah, um, so I'm meant to actually lead this, because Will has an awful habit of just talking about whatever he wants to talk about. And nobody else can get a word in edgeways. I'm given the context. You've got the plot to read out. You've got <laughs> so the plot to read out. got the important draft to So, this movie opens with a mother playing nice, pleasant music mm-hmm. in a car, um, leaving her baby in the back seat. Um, first appearances, it's not sinister. She steps outside the car, revealing um, that she's left the car on a set of railway tracks, and you hear the blurring of a horn and the train. <laughs> um hits hits a car with it's, the baby it's, inside it's one way to open a film certainly it's it, it, yeah but then it quickly pans to this perfectly preened neighborhood and it makes me sick <laughs> i could not think of anything worse than living in something a suburbia well, like that you've got it's my the, nightmare yeah you've got even like in the film's poster the white picket fence covered in blood it is though it's the ideal suburbia that you just see in desperate housewives and oh. and other other stuff of its ilk oh that's my worst nightmare um so after the opening credits we cut to carly ryan played by ann winters who is on the phone to her new boyfriend damon who is played by robert t cunningham her younger brother josh played by zachary arthur interrupts her causing the two to fight Mm -hmm. i mean we've all been through that i have a younger brother (laughs) so i have the older brother so i i was the josh in this situation yeah i I'm the oldest sister, so I have a younger brother, and, um, you know, being a teenager with, with a younger brother is, is, is yeah. pretty nice. Oh, I'll take your word for it. I, I, I was the annoying younger brother. Later that day, the family are watching a news report about the railway filicide um, that we saw at the beginning of the movie, where we also meet the family patriarch, Brent, played by Nicolas Cage. Legend. And the matriarch, Kendall played by Sam Blair. Um, slight confession time. Uh, crush on Sam Blair. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I know. Um, what, uh, Legally Blonde, Hellboy. 
Legally Blonde. Is it Legally Blonde? That's, yeah, it is. But yeah. that's an odd crush in that film. During this scene, um, it makes me pretty uncomfortable, actually. Because growing up, I was really poor. Okay. And I never understand why people have cleaners or housekeepers. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. Clean your own house. Clean your own room. Yeah, but you, you on the other hand, was brought up like this family. Oh. Um, you, you had a cleaner. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hire her. <laughs> that was my parents. I do, you, do you remember the time um, when you backed your no. car into your Oh my god! Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I reversed oh. out. I turned around. I, I knew the car was there. I just didn't stop. <laughs> and yeah, the driveway was massive. Well, the worst part was was that my car because I hit her with the corner, the back corner <laughs> of my car. Not a dent, not a scratch on my car. Her her door was buckled in though. Oh boy, thanks, thanks for opening up those old. Uh, this is why we talk about horror films because it's it's not as scary as as, as the real life trauma of crashing into my cleaner's car anyway yeah this is a very middle class household Mm -hmm. um, which I think is probably deliberate Mm -hmm. Um, probably some sort of social commentary going on there Mm. Um, yeah it makes me incredibly uncomfortable anyway Mm. well it's also like a bit of a racist uh, stereotype well yeah of course Um, so we also meet the family housekeeper Sun Yi played by Sharon Gi Mm, yeah, and it, it, it we'll probably talk about it later on in the scene, but she does have the like the broken English, the stereotypical, just focus on work and yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a stereotypical role. Yeah, but I think it's probably deliberate in yeah. in the fact that the the director is probably I hope he's saying you know this is supposedly the perfect stereotype, mm. two kids, perfect family. Yeah. Um, when in actual fact, as we later on find out, it's anything but perfect. Yeah. Um, so there's clearly tension within the family, as the parents don't approve of Carly's new boyfriend, as she's planning to meet up with him, despite the grandparents coming to visit that night. Mm-hmm. Um, Kendall then drives her daughter to school, and the two reflect on how they've grown apart, and don't seem to connect anymore. Carly retorts with, it's not my fault, you have no life. And, you know, she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not wrong. I remember having these similar conversations with my mum at that age, being a teenage girl. And you kind of... I love my mum to death now, but mm. um, when I was a teenager, oh, we got in some awful fights. Yeah, well, it's, it's just part of family growing up in, in a way. Yeah. And so, that's like, this is like a schlocky horror film, but there's a real human core to it. It's like it understands the insecurities of growing up when you still want to, like, you have kids who you raise well i'm I'm gonna assume i'm not as i'm not a father uh we have kids who one day we have fur babies we have have fur babies they don't talk back (laughs) they don't talk back and they're not gonna fly the nest anytime soon no that's true Mm -hmm. um so we then cut to the most menacing tickling ever committed to film by Nicolas cage towards his son uh, before making his way to work. Yeah, it's a pretty strange scene, that, isn't it? Yeah, he tickles his son, and it's it's all shot like a, like, like a scene in Jaws when he's, like, yeah. sneaking up on him. But I it's obvious, I presume it's deliberate choices. All the, all the music and the noises within this film are quite jarring. There's mm. a lot of white noise played. There's, I think it's probably to disorientate you, mm-hmm. um, to... And it's also important later on in, down the yes, line. Yes, it's a plot point. And there's a lot of high-pitched sounds which which really hurt your ears and make <laughs> you feel uneasy. Yeah. 
Um, as he gets in his car, we get a flashback sequence to some gratuitous nudity of Brent joyriding with a half-naked woman riding on top of him. Well, it's not just that, is it? Her no. boobs are full-on in his it, face. Exactly. The... Um, it, it's <laughs> very strange. Well, there's a bit of trivia about that. The the director, writer of this, uh, Brian Taylor, he, he, uh, show run a t- he worked on a TV show. And that scene is apparently just a stolen scene from that TV show that he's just repurposed the footage of. It makes sense in this film because it's 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 Nicolas Cage's character flashbacking to when he was a cool joyriding teenager and he's he's absolutely not that anymore. He's a he's a pencil pushing middleman now, uh, but it's just show, he's just repurposing footage from the from a, a different TV show that he worked on. Uh, it's a typical um, man thing, though, isn't it? Like, oh, my life is over. Oh, boo hoo, you know. It, it's not my fault I made two kids and I've got a boring job and yeah. I can't do what I want now. You should do what most men do when they just have no guidance in life and that's just start a podcast. I thought it was going to say have an affair. <laughs> Which one's worse? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we then quit to school as Carly's teacher confiscates some phones from disrupted publics you've put here. I've got a typo. Pupils. Could have been worse. I could have read pubics. <laughs> Um, One day that's going to happen. Yeah. Do you want to read that again? <laughs> we... We'll take we'll take that again. We'll take that again. We then cut to school as Carly's teacher confiscates some phones from disruptive pupils. Whilst back at home, Josh, um, yeah, quick question. Why isn't he in school? Yeah, he's not a four-year-old. Yeah, I don't think it's said. I think he's old enough to go go to school he's just not that. I'm assuming that maybe he's he's one year too do you not think young. it's very weird though like what's mum doing as well why have they got a housekeeper if mum is a stay at home mum well because yeah I think she's after a job in the film but I'm not sure I, the film's only about 18 minutes long it's really quick and it doesn't fill in these details I don't think it needs to but no, we did, no we, it's just studying it really isn't yeah. it because we're, we wanted to make a podcast about it yes we anyway. did we want to be smart we want to be smarter than the film yeah <laughs> Um, Josh is playing around in the house with Sun Yi, looking on sinisterly in the background as Sun Yi's daughter is in the kitchen with her. Josh flashbacks to him getting caught, making a mess of his dad's vintage sports car in the garage, but is interrupted by smashing sounds and screaming. I actually, actually like this scene a lot, um, and obviously it's setting up stuff and some sinister stuff with Sun Yi and, and the daughter there, but uh, th- there's a really great shot when he jumps off of the sofa and he runs through the kitchen and it's all done in one take. And it does remind me a lot of Brian Taylor's previous work on you know, like Ghost Rider and Crank. It's still got that energetic camera, even though it's such a domestic setting. After a brief scene showing the end of a sexy yoga class, as Kendall and her friend um, chat at a juice bar, we return to school where the teacher is giving the kids some liberal propaganda. <laughs> I actually really like this teacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's cool. Just, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's a good character. Well, well, yeah, well, he's teaching the kids how terrible their iPhones are because they're built to expire in a couple of years, so you buy a new one. That's planned obsolescence. When the teacher gets back-to-back phone calls where he has to send children to the principal's office... Uh, presumably due to a family emergency, a load of police cars start congregating outside the classroom, which obviously sparks some interest. Yeah, it's a really creepy setup as well. They really, like, I think the film does a really good job at setting up that something's not right. And because we've seen the film before, so yes. before this one, this is our second viewing of it like, in two years. Um, and they do a really good job at sort of setting up the intrigue. And if, because you know what's going to happen. Like, I, I didn't even notice the back-to-back phone calls the first time watching the film, I don't think. But this time, they're clearly getting calls from family saying something's happened. 
and he gets them back to back in the classroom. Well, yeah, and the teacher, I think, deals with it really well. Mm-hmm. He, he's kind of, um, he tries to protect the children as much as he can, mm-hmm. but obviously everyone ends up leaving because you can just see some of his... It's happening, outside, it's happening outside <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, so in Damon's class, so that is a boyfriend, he's taking a test and he goes to hand it in due to finishing early. He spots all the students' parents just stood outside. Um, well, just before that, the mm-hmm. invigilator, invigilator makes a comment about... He, he breaks his pencil, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And, and that's how they see the parents outside the door. Yeah. Um, and the invigilator makes a comment about uh, these parents being eager and that they've turned up way too early to collect mm-hmm. their kids. But there is the really great ominous shot of them just stood outside of the door, just stood outside of the glass windows, just... Just looking at just their kids taking the like test. Staring like a bunch of like zombies. Yeah, like, well, it's it's. I want to eat your brain. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not even like because <laughs> they're just staring at them. They're not like trying to claw at the door. They're not trying to break in. They are just watching, and it's really creepy. Before Carly and her friend Riley, played by Olivia Crocia, Crocia. Really sorry, Olivia. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Before they can try recreational drugs in the girls' toilet, an alarm goes off, causing all the students and teachers to gather outside, with all their parents on the other side of the fence pleading and begging their kids to come with them. Damon leaves his exam, despite being 20 minutes left of the exam, and walks past all the creepy parents outside, who calmly walk inside now that the one-way door is open. Yeah, so Damon has let the parents in. Boy, what a big mistake that was. Mm Mm-hmm. Very old Damon. Back outside, one child decides to disobey his teachers and the police. Um, it's important to say that the teachers kind of get what's going on now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the police are there and they're trying to stop everything. Um, but this one child um, just wants to be with his mum. Mm-hmm. And he starts to climb the fence and the parents drag him down. Uh, but then we see that she starts stabbing a child with a set of keys in front of everybody. Mm. And then all hell breaks loose <laughs> because the parents then start climbing over the fence and start attacking their children. That's important. Mm-hmm. It's not just any child. No. Their own child. Mm-hmm. Um, in what must have been an incredibly fun day on location for the kids. (laughs) Yes, you've got like hundreds of extras, a load of kids, a load of parents, because they're tacking each other on a sports field. Yeah, it does look quite fun. Imagine filming that. That would be be quite fun. fun, I wonder how many takes they did. um, You you destroy the sports field. It's an actual school they filmed in. I think think they filmed in Kentucky. Uh, So they, they (laughs) they can't film too much on there if they've got all these stunts happening. They might dig up the football field so the parents start stabbing kids with flagpoles i thought it was a javelin i saw a flagpole i definitely saw a flagpole okay. um, but they're in a sports field they've got kids they've yeah, got the equipment what one parent empties a empties a bin bag and and puts it over their kid's head <laughs> oh. and suffocates them that that's quite well you've got to applaud their um, the creativity yeah yeah <laughs> just yeah the, the, the parents are just taking anything to hand because they're not like trained killers or anything they're not even armed because they're just they are just parents picking their kids up at school normally and then they just get these these urges of violence. So they're using anything to hand. I, I think there's one scene when uh, one of the uh, the parents is just hitting their kid with a handbag numerous times in the background. Uh, so it's 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 played for laughs sometimes, but there's genuine horror, like what, choking one of the kids with a, with a yeah, bin bag. Yeah, 
I mean, I think it is played off as a horror comedy, but, you know, it's quite disturbing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some dark imagery. Um, I wouldn't recommend kids watching this film. <laughs> it is 15, rated 15 by the, uh, the BARB, so... Yeah. So Carly and her friend encounter more parents in the car park, but the parents just run straight past them whilst they're trying to hide behind a car, mm-hmm. which really freaks them out because obviously they don't know what's going on yet. Yeah, the, the film sets up very clear rules and parameters and it doesn't break those rules either, e- even later on uh, when the dynamics of what's happening are a little bit more established. Uh, it doesn't break those rules and it's good. It, the film just does a really good job at setting everything up. So then... The next scene, we are following Damon, who is cycling on his way home, and it looks all idyllic, it's all quiet, Mm -hmm. you can't see anything out of the ordinary, whether he comes home to find a TV on, um, and his dad is just sat in the room, um, looks like he's drunk and passed out, so Damon heads outside, Mm -hmm. um, but then he goes back inside, and his dad is has moved from the place he was sitting and you see a TV screen um, which is a static screen um, and it's got like white noise on mm-hmm. it. Um, it's at this point, um, his dad sneaks up on him and starts attacking him with a glass bottle. Um, mm. so, but, but you get the sense that this perhaps isn't something out of the ordinary yes. for Damon. Damon says something along the lines of, uh, like, let's not do this again. Like, as in these fights, he doesn't, he clearly doesn't have a good relationship with his dad. Uh, it's a really small touch, but it does a lot to kind of, like, humanise the situation and bring a bit more tragedy to the film as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, a fight ensues, and Damon manages to push a table in the way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and his dad, he, he falls over, and he impales himself on a broken bottle and it is quite horrific this scene Um, it's very realistic Mm -hmm. um yeah and obviously damon is feeling all kinds of different thoughts and he the acting in that scene is incredible yeah damon plays it really well like yeah because he he, what his dad's obviously trying to kill him but he, he he's watching him bleed out as while he's bleeding out the dad is still trying to strangle and kill him as well it yeah it's yeah it's really it's actually pretty pretty harrowing stuff yeah and then we cut to carly and riley um who escaped to riley's house while carly watches the news to learn about the widespread attacks of the parents um who are killing their children we cut away to carly downstairs who has heard that it's all gone quiet and is shouting for riley to come downstairs after Riley doesn't appear. Carly heads upstairs to where you see Riley's mother killing. Uh, she's strangling her to death, yeah. I think. Yeah, she's got um, she's got like a a cord or something, yeah. doesn't she? Right round it, and so obviously Carly witnesses the death of her from Riley. Yeah, and and the mother just looks at her. It's like, oh, hello there. Like, hello, sweetie. Because like she's has no want or desire to kill to mm. kill her. So she's acting as if everything's completely normal. And it makes it even more sinister, makes to be it, honest. Because they all just act as if it's like a normal thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we cut to Kendall, who is talking about getting a potential new job with a form of flame, it appears. Mm. But um, she gets rebuffed, I'm assuming because she's probably too old now. Yeah. And there's a younger model in the... In the um, Yes. Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, there's um, the, clearly his his new object of affection in the workplace is there. Yeah. Um. She then gets a call from her sister Jeannie, 
played by Rachel Melvin, who is at the hospital giving birth. Um, after some lovely words of encouragement from a sister, Jeannie gives birth to a baby girl Aww. and starts holding her in her arms. Um, as Static starts the broadcast over a nearby monitor. And they've just handed the baby to Jeannie. And Jeannie starts squeezing her newborn baby. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks anything of it. And then it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. <laughs> it's important to notice that her boyfriend, who I don't think is the father of the baby. Okay. Um, there's something mentioned later on. Plus he doesn't try to kill the baby. Ah, um, oh, okay. Ah, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah, it's something like, are you dad? And he's like, no, I'm the boyfriend. And mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, that's important because he just, he's filming everything and he falls over and is sick yes. on the floor. <laughs> and then you are watching the footage from his little GoPro mm-hmm. and you see that they managed to get the baby away from her. Kendall is holding the baby. Uh, they cut the umbilical cord before she can cause any more harm. As Rock sets, it must have been Love Starts playing. This film's got a really good soundtrack because it, it's otherwise a pretty horrific scene. The newborn baby is like, potentially going to be crushed to death by the mother. Mm. Uh, while this uh, this very affectionate song is playing. Must have been love. And it's over now. After Kendall hands the baby over to the hospital staff for the baby's own protection, um, there's a creepy scene where a line of new fathers are on the other side of a glass window watching their newborn baby sleep and you know they are plotting to kill them. Uh, yeah, they, they, um, as Kendall walks past them, it um, like pans across this, this row of fathers who would just look like they are just about to blow. They are like fuming and just ready to fight. It's creepy as well because you get this great like dolly shot of like panning across the children who are in, I forget what they're called, in those little see-through uh, rectangular containers where the babies sleep and they can be put on oxygen in them sometimes. Um, incubators. Incubators, yeah, the bunch of babies in the incubators and the parents are just watching on the other side of glass and that glass is the only thing keeping those babies safe right now and it's creepy as hell. Like, as mom and dad is, it follows pretty much just this one family over the course of this day, over the course of this weird phenomena, but there's the sense that there's stories happening everywhere else. Like, there's the stories happening in the hospital, at the school. All of these families have been affected by the same thing. And there's, like, a whole... You could make, like, a cinematic universe of mum and dad where you follow a different family on this day. So then we cut to Carly meeting up with Damon, who explains that the adults only want to kill their own children because he's smart and he's worked it out. Yes. And they see a neighbour, who is an adult, holding a bloodied baseball bat who just ignores them both. Yeah, he's just And collecting... he kind of smirks, doesn't yeah. he? He kind of just walks away. Well, he's, just, something... he's collecting his mail and he's just like, is being neighbourly and just saying hello while he's covered in blood with a bloody yeah. bat. He's, like I said, the, there's another story happening in the background of this film where he's probably just killed his kids and he's just collecting his mail. Yeah, so the two head back to the Ryan's household with the plan of getting Josh out of there before the parents come home. So... They get inside and find Sun Yi cleaning 
blood from the kitchen floor. However, we don't know it's blood. We just see her mopping for a while. Mm -hmm. And they have a conversation with her. She's all jovial and says, you know, Josh is in his bedroom, but he won't come out. And I can't understand why he's not coming out of his bedroom. Yeah, everyone's going crazy, she yeah, says. Yeah, and then it's at that point she lifts up the mop head and you see it's just drenched in yeah. blood. And she, she gets angry that she can't clean the kitchen floor. And Carly and Damon are shouting at her to... To just leave. Get just, out, yeah. yeah. So, obviously, the blood's on the floor. We know her daughter was there. Mm-hmm. So we know. Put the two together. Yeah. Mm. But there's no body so far. Hold on to that. <laughs> It'll come back later. <laughs> so Carly finds Josh hiding under his bed. But we hear Brent come home. <laughs> who who goes um, ape shit at the fact that Damon is in the house. Mm-hmm. And wants to know what, what he's doing there. And he goes on this long tirade about, I know what boys were like when a guy was a teenage boy once, blah, blah, blah. And he mentions anal beads or yeah, something. Yeah, he's like, dildo. And like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, dildo to mouth, mouth to dildo, dildo anal beads. Yeah, believe it or not, I used to be young once too. And, and actually, not all that long ago, by the way. And I think about how things were in my day. Mr. Ryan. But now, the world you kids are living in, the things you've seen on the internet, Mouth to dildo, dildo ass, ass to ass. Hi, Brent. Anal beads. And this is what you want. This is what you want from a Nicolas Cage performance. This is why you, yeah. This is why you get him in these unhinged, crazy roles. If you put any line of dialogue on a page, he's like Ron Burgundy with the teleprompter. He will read it. He will read it, and he'll commit to it. He's he's an Academy Award nominee for a reason. Anyway, the kids... I, I stand Nicolas Cage. The kids come downstairs, and Brent predictably tries to kill them however he um doesn't he he trips on one of josh's toy cars during this scene as well he also knocks out damon uh so damon's kind of out of commission for a big chunk of the film yeah the kids lock themselves in the basement where they find the shattered remains of a pool table there we go yeah and then there's a flashback to three weeks ago where brent receives the pool table um (laughs) and cue a rock montage of Brent building the table um, only to be discovered by Kendall. They then start arguing because he's not telling how much the table costs. And she's like, we, Brent, you don't even like Paul. Why have you bought it? And it's clear he's having a midlife crisis. Yeah, he basically wants a man cave in the basement. He wants uh, a room for just where he can do whatever he wants and live out his glory days, I'm guessing. And, and he, he sort of says he just wants some time away from the kids. Um, and that one day he's going to, like, slip him on one of the toys, and one of Josh's toys, and, and end up in a and They have a big uh, Barney in the basement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice alliteration. Barney <laughs> in the basement. And we discover she's having a midlife crisis too, but obviously she deals with it in a different way. Mm-hmm. He deals with it by taking the sledgehammer and smashing up the pool table. Yeah, which is just unnecessary. Right, he's just and spent a few hours building it while he sings the hokey cokey and smashes it apart. Oh yeah, you put your right foot in, you take your right foot out, you do the hokey pokey and you fucking work it all out. Stop! How do you do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around? What's the shirt he's wearing again? 
Oh, he's wearing a misfit shirt. Yeah, so misfits he, are pretty cool. Though, yeah, yeah. But, so, but like, he, he's he's wearing a misfit shirt. He's trying to build a pool table, even though he probably doesn't even like Paul. And he's having a, a big crisis in the basement. And even and when he's kind of rumbled, he's like, I don't even like Paul. Destroys the pool table. And there's just this really nice quiet moment between uh, Cage and, and and Blair uh, and in the basement, just talking about how you know life could have been different for them, but they're they should be happy with the lot in life now. Also, um, what is the Hokey Pokey? It's because the only thing I know is the Hokey Cokey. Hokey Cokey. It's the, it's the craze sweeping the nation when you were five years old. You put your left foot in, your left foot out, in, out, in, out, you shake it all about. You do the Hokey Cokey and you turn around. That's... So it must be an American thing, the hokey pokey. Yeah, it's like but I don't get why it's not hokey cokey. Yeah, it's like the metric system. It's like the Royale with cheese. I still don't understand that. That's a Pulp Fiction reference. Okay. Anyway, mm-hmm. we cut back to the present day, and Kendall comes home after hearing the static on the radio. However, before this, she is being warned on the car radio yes. um, by somebody saying, "Do not," and I repeat, "Do not go and find your children." Yeah. Is you'll have the impulse to like be near them to look after them, yes. but you should for but their you safety. You need to stay away from them for their safety. But then the radio cuts off and it turns to static. Yeah, and she changes. Yeah, at this point it's worth pointing out that w- during this film we never find out what's causing the static. There's some theories on TV that it could be a terrorist thing, it could be Russia or something, but it's never explicitly said. And I think the film's all the better for it. it just it just gets to the premise and. And the themes at play instead of messing around with the logistics of it. Um, so Kendall does go home. She doesn't take its advice. <laughs> <laughs> she she goes home and she sees Brent on the floor who weirdly <laughs> come, comes back to life. Yeah. In this moment. <laughs> he cannot be stopped. <laughs> he cannot be deterred. Um, and learns that the kids are in the basement. And so she's like, okay, Brent, I've got this. <laughs> yeah. Let's use a motherly touch. Uh, um, so she tries to coax their children out with love and affection and sympathy, only for Brent to take the opposite approach and bang on the door. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, he's, he's, uh, he has this great, this motherfucking door? Your motherfucking mother should open the door. <laughs> Motherfuckers! You're going to open this motherfucking door! <laughs> um, there's a great split screen shot as well where you've got the kids on one side and um, and the mother on the other as the camera pans across. Yeah, that's and the, a good scene. And then Cage is just stood up banging on the door trying to <laughs> trying to break in. It's yeah, it's a really good scene. The the child actors are really good as well, especially uh, especially uh, Anne Winters who plays Carly. She's really good. She kind of like carries a lot of the film as well. The motherly approach is not working. So then she goes and gets a saw. Mm, gets the power tools. Um. And she decides to start cutting through the door, but obviously it's quite powerful for her, so she doesn't get it right mm-hmm. at first. To which Brent goes to the bedroom, because um, he's like, well, this isn't working. Um, <laughs> runs up to the bedroom to plot a metal case, only to realise his handgun is missing. Mm-hmm. And who's got the handgun? He then hears gunshots downstairs before we cut to Kendall, who has just been shot in the arm by little Josh. Um, through the basement door. But, I mean, that's good survival instinct, yeah. though, isn't it? Yeah, it's I a mean, good, good shot. He's not shooting to kill. Good yeah. shot. Yeah. Kendall then chastises Brent for keeping a gun in the house <laughs> because one in five children are injured by firearms. Oh, it's such a good line. Like, they're there to kill their kids and she's right, <laughs> and she's railing at Brent for keeping a gun in their house because they can harm kids. 
Oh. Yeah, that is, that is a very good line. But whilst this is happening, something funnier is happening in the background. Yeah, and spot. this is Nicolas Cage. And he is doing this weird I, movement with his legs. I, it's like he's stepping over like a fence or something, but like really quickly. Yeah, I, I described it as like a, as a, like a goose-stepping dance, basically. I, he's just in, in the doorway, just doing this weird dance in the background as well, he's talking. Well, trying to deliver this dialogue, and you're just... Well, I was just distracted by whatever he was doing. He's just, full of, he's just full of energy, and he's just jumping around the room. Brent and Kendall go into the bathroom, and... They are tending to her wound, and he's like, "Shall I take the bullet out?" And she's like, "No, don't take the bullet out. Um, <laughs> let's just pour this alcohol on it, sterilize it, and wrap it up." Wrap it one, two. two. So as he's wrapping the bandage around her yeah, arm, yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> um, and the kids can hear hear her screaming in pain. Which I think Josh is like, "Oh, is is dad hurting mom?" And she's and Carly is like, "No, they're they're just after us." Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Then. Mum comes up with a very clever idea. Yeah. And they decide to try a different tact by um, attaching a hose to their gas line Mm -hmm. and taping it into the basement. Mm -hmm. So as Kendall goes outside to move the hose, she cheerfully waves to a nearby neighbour, which is... Well, well it's it's a, keep it, keeping up in appearances, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, cause, it's, cause, it's a little background gag, basically, as, yeah. as the parents are just going about their business and being happy with each other. While... Make sure you say hi to the neighbours. Exactly. Everything's hi. fine. Yeah, we're still on for seven, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, while she's doing this, she opens the bin, well, the bin lid, mm-hmm. and you hear, like, flies buzzing. She looks in and poor little Lisa is... <laughs> It's chopped up in this bin. Yeah. I mean, you don't see her, but I am yeah. assuming that's what happens. Yeah, the housekeeper's daughter's just been dumped in the bin. And Kendall thinks nothing of it, just puts the bin lid down and carries on walking and puts her hose into the basement. So she does this very methodically. So she puts the hose in the basement window, uh, puts soil around it to kind of like put a seal on, on the gap uh, and everything. It, it's, a, it's actually a really good plan. Um, at this point, Damon is still unconscious on the kitchen floor. Kendall starts taping over the hole she cut in the door to stop any gas escaping from the basement as Brent and Kendall then start sharing a sweet moment of unity as they wait for the gas to do its work and they talk about how long it'll take and what else were they talking about? Well, it was just like... It was quite a sweet moment. Yeah, they were just talking about how happy they'll be to be rid of the kids and there's nothing like a bit of... Uh, what's the term? Uh, familicide? Uh, to bring oh. parents together? Yeah, that's no joke. Well, it's also because the film opens with them that they're not on the same page. They're clearly in a very unhappy marriage. And ironically, the static is the best thing that's ever happened to their relationship. They talk about um, how they're going to listen out for their kids to start coughing and being sick because of the gas. And then they know that it's the time that the kids are weak and they can pounce and therefore kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Josh starts to lose consciousness, Carly has discovered a vent in the basement and starts to plan an escape but not before building a trap, which was so clever. Yes, it will put Kevin um, McAllister to shame. <laughs> um, so she gets um, a box of matches, she duct tapes them together, and she puts the... Uh, what's it called? It's like sandpaper. Like, yeah, like the lining bit. Yeah, um, the bit where you... She puts it under the door, so when the parents eventually open the door, it will light the match. Mm-hmm. The two manage to escape through through the vent, and Brent cuts around the lock of the basement door. I don't get why they don't just kick the door down. Well, that would have done a better 
job. Anyway. Yeah, it helps, it helps. Anyway. Um, and oh, then he... so it's because it's a pull door. Is it? Yes, but he, he pulls the door oh. open, which strikes the match. It's, yeah. h- it's harder to kick a, okay, a pull yeah, door. That yes. makes sense. I think it's a pull door because you, if you have a push door on basement steps, you can knock someone down the stairs. Mm. I think it's a I think it's a design thing on basement doors. He unlocks the basement door and this triggers Carly's trap. <laughs> and the match is like... And there is a great scene where um, Brent is... <laughs> He's, He's blo- kind of blown backwards. Yes, it's slow motion. He's blown backwards through another doorway. He he goes yeah. off screen, and um, whereas uh, Kendall's slightly out the way. Yes, um, and she's currently in the kitchen. However, this wakes Damon up with yeah. blast. Yes. Kendall then, while she's in the kitchen, is decided between a meat tenderizer and a knife. She chooses the meat tenderizer mm-hmm. and chases the kids who have managed to sneak upstairs um, to the parents' bedroom and they shut themselves in. But Kendall breaks in after a sweet flashback to young Carly and Kendall trying out makeup in the bedroom mirror. I think it's trying to establish what a lovely relationship they had, which makes this well. It more... was. It was also because how much happier they were when the kids were younger and they yeah. could and they weren't were were um, more dependent on them, which I think that's what Kendall is really after. She wants someone to depend to depend, depend on, on her. her. Yeah. yeah, it's empty nest syndrome, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean you usually get it when kids have moved out, but uh, yeah, yes, yeah. they're, they're now like more emotionally independent. Yes, um, so Damon and Carly have a, a brief moment of relief. Um, with Damon saying, I used to think my parents getting divorced was the hugest tragedy of my life, but ironically, that shit doubled my chance of survival. And this, I agree, because I would survive too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've only got one person to fight them in one household, but yeah, because um, uh, Kendall gets locked in the in the uh, wardrobe, and then Damon comes upstairs to save them and man- manages to lock them inside the wardrobe. Um, yeah, not before being impaled by a coat hanger, oh. which is a really graphic scene. Yeah. And a, it proper makes you work squirm. Yeah, it's a metal coat hanger, pierces through Damon's cheek. Damon's like the innocent party here. Like, yeah. I know the kids are all innocent, but they're not even his parents. Gets stabbed through the cheek. It's odd. Oh, gruesome. It's probably the worst um, gore yeah, in the film. Yeah, he's then knocked down the stairs by accident, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. by Kendall, who is chasing... Um, Carly and Josh. Weirdly enough, Brent has survived and he comes to um, and the parents corner the children in the kitchen. He's got cereal on his face. And he's, he does have cereal on his face, um, which made me laugh quite a bit. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, he's got cereal on his face. Then, all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. Ooh. And that is such a good moment because... If you remember, there was talk at the beginning of the film of the grandparents coming round for dinner that night. Mm-hmm. Sorry, tea. Coming round for tea that <laughs> yeah. night. Okay. So, yeah, I adore this twist. Because, like you said, it's set up earlier when they talk. It's the reason why they, why they didn't like um, uh, Carly hanging out with Damon because she was going to be skipping hanging out with the grandparents who were coming to visit. And it, it's Brent's parents, Brent's side of the family. So he goes to answer the door. And is immediately pepper sprayed and stabbed by his parents. And because obviously the parents are wanting to kill the kids. It doesn't matter how old they are, exactly. they clearly want to kill their kids. So the grandparents have come round to have some tea with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's a carnage yep. happens. But obviously the grandparents are not 
wanting to kill the grandchildren. Yes, they're, they're just after Brent. Yes, they're really happy to see the grandkids. And like I said, it's setting up the rules and sticking to them. And you essentially get this weird multi-tiered chase where you've got the parents trying to attack the kids, but you've got the grandparents trying to attack Brent whilst Kendall is kind of like, no, why are you trying to kill my husband? Why are you trying to kill your son? Like, completely oblivious to the irony of the whole situation. But it's this weird multifaceted chase around the house that just, go, it's just off the chain. The grandparents, played by Lance Henriksen and Marilyn Dodds-Frank, are fighting with Kendall to try and kill Brent, whilst Brent is trying to kill Josh. <laughs> um, and the grandmother calls, calls Kendall some not very nice things <laughs> yeah because the grandmother's got no reason to kill kendall uh because obviously she's not blood related to her but so they need to sort of like have this conflict to have the parents and the grandparents fighting each other so it's revealed that the grandmother just does not like kendall you were never good enough for him you're a whore kendall's not even a real name and then they start fighting in the kitchen um, so anyway, the the chase moves into the garage as Josh tries to hide from Brent in in the vintage sports car. Everything comes back to the car. Yes, well, it's kind of like this film's a bit like a like a, the game Mousetrap, where everything's being set up at the beginning. It's sort of this weird Rube Goldberg effect where all of these things are being called back to later on, and it, the car's set up at the beginning of the film. Um, so, uh, yeah, it all comes back around in some way. I um, like it. Yeah, is this where they have? Um, like a little flashback to Brent and Josh sat on the curbside. Yes, they're having ice cream. Um, he's got an ice lolly. It was red, white, and blue. Yes, yeah, and uh, and Brent's saying, "If you touch my car again, I will fucking kill you." And then, but it's meant to be taken as a joke oh, at yeah. that time. Yes. But what what is it? You said they're talking about something really inappropriate about how much this car means to Brent, oh, why yes. it means so much, and that his mum wants, Kendall wants him to sell it, but he can't part with it. And Josh is just like, um... Oh, someone's come to visit. Why can't you part with it? And he's like, it just means a lot to me, blah, blah. Basically, it's because of all his sexual experiences he's had in this yeah, well, well, yeah, he associates his youth with, with this vintage sports car, which is why he's so attached to it and why he doesn't want his son anywhere near it either. Um, so Josh starts up the car and it starts playing Chains of Love by Erasure <laughs> over the radio. Um, Brent gets trapped in, in the car as Josh leaves the car. Um, all the while, his grandfather is stabbing Brent repeatedly in the leg. Yes, Brent gets caught in like the car window, so his legs are sort of hanging out the side of the car, which uh, he's, his dad's able to, to really abuse and start stabbing him in the back. Yeah. Um, so then Brent manages to get control of the car, and we see Kendall and the grandma having a fight in the garden um, with Carly outside, only for Brent to reverse the car out of the garage, running her over. So she's flying over the bonnet and he kills both of his parents in this process. Um, so Kendall then turns her attention to Carly after witnessing all this happening and goes to run over to her. To which Damon comes and saves the day and smacks Kendall in the face with a shovel. And Carly is just 100% done it's, with everything. It's such a great moment because Kendall turns to Carly despite all this chaos and is, and is still wanting to kill her. And the the face that Carly pulls, she is 100% done with this entire day. The screen goes black. And then we see Brent and Kendall wake up in the destroyed basement, tied up. 
but clearly still under the influence of this static. Um, but they're trying to convince the kids that they're not, and they're sweet talking them and just mm-hmm. saying, you know, just just let us free, just let us free. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids don't trust them. Luckily, we love you both more than anything in the whole world. But sometimes we, sometimes we just want to. And then it cuts to black, and the credits roll. Yeah, I, I think it's such a great ending. Yeah, it's a good ending. Mm-hmm. Leaves it open for a sequel. It does, but like, or just other universe, like or other versions of this story to play on the same day. But yeah, so what did you think of Mom and Dad? Yeah, I really liked it. I remember watching it the first time I watched it, and I really loved it. I thought it was a great wild ride, and I thought Nicolas Cage was great in it. Second time around watching it, I'm just more confused than anything. Second time around, yeah, yeah there's just little bits I don't think I picked up the first time. I'm just a bit like this. This is mad. This, this guy is mad anyway. Yeah. Like, I just don't. Wow. Well, do you think you'd prefer this film if if Brent was played by maybe a more down to earth actor or? No, I think this role needs Nicholas Cage in it. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it's such a crazy role. I think it needs him. Like yeah. he's so weird, isn't he? He's so. Oh yeah. Is so extra. I think this role needs it. Yeah, Nicholas Cage said in an interview that this is his favorite film role in about ten years. Yeah, you can tell he's having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. it's it is a real fun movie. And he's he's working with a director and a writer who he's worked with before, but is also just his brand of crazy as well. Yeah, who is who will basically just let the camera hang and let Nicholas Cage just do a weird goose stepping dance in the background of his shot. But but this isn't just a weird kooky performance. Nicholas Cage is in some moments genuinely scary. Like when he knocks out Damon in the kitchen and he holds his hand up in the really striking pose, smacks his head down. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some. I, I, it's not a scary film, but it's got really great creepy imagery in it's it. It's got. It's got good horrific moments yeah. in it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's it's unnerving. It's it's uneasy rather than straight horror yeah but i think it's also because it's also played in such a relatable way like you've got these larger than life characters in this big situation but you kind of ask yourself what would you do if your parents tried to do this to you Mm. or what if you were the parents in question yeah i think it's got a real universal appeal it's it's grounded in a reality isn't it like you know um white picket fence suburbia Mm. you know perfect family yeah, like it's it's got like the big moments of bombast, like the explosion of the basement, but they still set it up in a grounded way. Like you see the process of them setting up the gas pipe, they rip out the gas cooker, they connect it with a hose pipe. It's still grounded. It's, it's pretty believable, even though it's not. Well, it, do, you, do you know? It, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, you believe this could happen. Yeah, and it, it, but it's still larger than life. And like the like the first child we see get killed is killed by a set of keys. Yeah, I, I think that or at least that's one of the first deaths in the film. Just something that the mother had on on hand at the time. Or or the baby being left on the train tracks in the car. I ah, mean, yes, it, yeah. That, that's horrific within itself. But unfortunately, we know that stuff happens oh, yeah. and can happen. Yeah, it, it it's ground. It's its own weird. It's got a weird kooky energy and an insane energy to the film, but it's still in a grounded situation. Like, I, I know you, you said that you weren't as big on this film the second time watching it, but I had a really great time watching this the second oh, time. Oh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I just There's more bits to it where I'm sort of more 
confused. Mm -mm. I think the first time I just sat there and I didn't know what was happening. So I thought, oh my God, this is so great. It's so much fun. Yeah. But the second time I know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and so you pick up more things. Well, the first time watching it, I don't think we knew anything about the no, film. No, I we? think we just, I think I'd heard about it on a podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a recommendation. And I was like, we. I think we saw it in the shop and was like, yeah, it's on offer. Yeah. Let's buy it. So we did, and I think we watched it that day. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a real, it yeah, it's a really good like modern like thrilling horror film. That that's not, I, I wouldn't say it's scary, but it does have those moments of unease, and it's got that like sort of the real humanity to it. And I, I guess I was like I said earlier, I think Summer Blair is terrific in this because yeah, she's, she's great. Like, like Nicolas Cage plays big and crazy. But Selma Blair doesn't try to match that, because I don't think anyone could, but she goes for the more low-key sinister. Like the sequence when she's taping up the door to stop the gas leaking out, and she's like holding the knife the knife to the tape. Because, oh, cause, that's cause, a good scene, yeah. Because yeah. the daughter, is, she doesn't know what's happening, so she's like pressing against the tape, and she's got the knife like ready to stab the finger. Like, she plays those like down, like the, the more subdued horror, really, really well. It's good just to sit back and watch just switch off your brain just watch it for what it is you don't have to think about anything yeah. because it's all being explained to you in front of you yeah um, and including credits it's only 18 minutes long it's a really brisk watch it doesn't waste any time i think every, every scene serves a real purpose uh and it and because of it is such a truncated runtime that it never has an opportunity to be boring or for you to question anything that's happening in the film. Like, yeah, why is Josh not in school? The film's kind of moving too quick for you to ask that question. Well, unless well, you watch it a second time round. Yeah, and doing, and, 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 and doing a podcast about yeah. it. So that was Mom and Dad. That was Mom and Dad, because you picked this film and I'm, I'm very happy that you picked it. Yeah, I'm very it was a good Yes, good choice. So um, I, I recommend that we close this podca uh, podcast out by listening to Chains of the Hokey Cokey. No, I was going to say listen to Chains of Love, but we can do the Hokey Cokey. Hokey Pokey. Hokey Cokey. Hokey Cokey. But, well, they call it Hokey Pokey, but we call it Hokey Cokey. Yeah, we do the real, we do the real version. Yeah, yeah, America. Yeah, how do we do that? We put our left foot, foot in, our left foot, foot out, <laughs> in, out, in, out. We shake it all about. We, we do, do the hokey pokey. No, hokey pokey. I get them mixed up. Hokey pokey and you turn around. That's what it's all about. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Monster Mondays. Bye. Mouth to dildo, dildo to ass, ass to ass. Hi, Brent. Anal beads.